Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Michael Beller. We are continuing on in our division by division position battle mini series. This episode here today is about the National League West, and there is no place you can start in the NL West than with the team that has completely owned the division for the better part of the last decade, the Los Angeles Dodgers. For that, we welcome on our Dodgers beat writer, Pedro Mora. Pedro, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Dodgers, a uh, pretty good team, I would have to say. You expected to be uh, a pretty good team yet again this year. Got two fantasy superstars in Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts. That, of course, not what we are concerned with in these episodes. We're more concerned with the guys who are at the fringes of the starting rosters here. And the Dodgers do have a couple of position battles that I find interesting. Maybe not traditional player X versus player Y, but still things that are interesting from a fantasy perspective. The first that I want to talk about is in the rotation because I know this is true for me. I think it's true for a lot of people in the fantasy community. I want to see Ross Stripling in a starting uh, role as a starting pitcher uh, all for an entire season. I was very excited when it looked like he was going to get shipped across town to the Angels. Of course, that deal fell through, and now he is still in this bullpen, emergency starter, long man, whatever role he's going to be for the Dodgers. So uh, can you give us a little insight into what we're going to see from Ross Stripling this season? Yeah, it's a good question, but to sum it up, I think I'll, I'll just say this, and then I'll expand on it. You're going to see the same that you've been seeing. He's not going to open the season in the starting rotation. I still expect him to make starts, but he's not going to be a 25-32 start guy for the Dodgers this season. He's just not. You know, They've basically already said what their rotation is going to be. It's going to be Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler, David Price, Julio Urias, and Alex Wood. And that leaves Rostrup thing on the, uh, on the outside. That leaves him in the bullpen, where he's going to be valuable, but, uh, you know, I'm sure, I, I know very little about fantasy, but I know enough to know that as a reliever, as a middle reliever, he doesn't have any, you know, significant value to most of you. So, yeah, you know, that's the crazy thing, is he's been, you know, he's one of a few pitchers this century to throw, you know, four seasons. He's had four consecutive seasons to start his career with an ERA under four. This is a guy who's had a really successful start to his career, and yet he still has yet to have, a, you know, an everyday chance as a starter. You know, 15 starts, 21 starts, 14 start seasons, but never a full-time guy. Was an all-star even in that group. Yeah, it's it's that's kind of the curse of being on the Dodgers. You know, it costs the player money. Um, it costs fantasy players, I'm sure, chances to 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 have these to roster these guys. But that's just that's just how it is. You know, and that's just how it is on this franchise. Yeah, it's the unfortunate reality for Ross Stripling and those of us who really believe in him. I still think with you know, the injury history of some of those starters, uh, especially in recent years, that y- you could see him make a decent amount of starts, and you say it's going to be built in uh, as well. But uh, Ross Stripling, someone who would just have so much more value in the fantasy world if he could find himself on literally any of the 29 teams not named the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's how it's going to be again for Stripling this season. Uh, let's flip it over to the other side of the battery and take a look at the catcher position. Will Smith uh, came on in a big way for this team and for fantasy owners uh, in the second half of last season. Catcher is always a problem position. That is going to be the case again this season unless you get someone like JT Real Muto, Gary Sanchez, Yasmani Grandal, Wilson Contreras, maybe Mitch Garver. It's just a position that is really shallow in the fantasy world. Will Smith could be in that next tier of guys who ascend and provide some reliable production from the catcher position. But Austin Barnes is a nice player the Dodgers like as well. How firm is Smith's hold on this catcher job? I view it as quite strong. I think it's quite strong. I think he has much more offensive potential than Austin 
Barnes does. You know, he hit far more homers last year than, than Will Smith did than Barnes has hit in his major league career, right? The, the power potential is just really not even comparable. So, yes, he had a 582 OPS in September. Yes, he struck out a lot. Yes, he looked overmatched at times, but he still had August, you know? He had August, and even before that, even when he was just pinch hitting in May, June, and July, he was knocking extra base hits every other time he was at the plate almost. I mean, it's, you know, the, the power potential is just totally different. He's a, he's a, he's a different caliber of a, of a hitter as a catcher. Uh, Austin Barnes is there as a backup. You know, he's, he's someone the Dodgers count on as a, as a 200 plate appearance guy. But I think, you know, I, I expect Will Smith to get every opportunity to play, uh, you know, on a, on a, on an everyday basis for a catcher. He's not going to, you know, he would have to struggle for quite a long time to lose that hold. All right. We got one more question for you. You mentioned in regards to stripling, that's just the curse of being on the Dodgers that you've got a lot of depth to deal with. Same for some of the position players as well, because Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, uh, Corey Seager, uh, when healthy, these guys aren't coming out of the lineup. And that leaves some useful players like Kike Hernandez, A.J. Pollock, Chris Taylor, uh, without everyday jobs. Jock Peterson in there as well. So how uh, do the Dodgers handle this group of guys? Is, is there going to be a few who are more default in the lineup than others? Is there pure platoons that they can take advantage of? How do they end up working all these guys into the lineup? It's a great question. It's it's it, this has been a thing that the Dodgers have went through for years now, but I th- I think that this year is the worst predicament yet, just because they have so many players who need time. Let's let's go through go across the diamond real quick. Okay, we got Will Smith and Austin Barnes at catcher, you know, in a seventy thirty type of role, or however you want to define it. Justin Turner is going to play when he's healthy at the third base. Corey Seager is going to play when he's healthy at, at shortstop. Uh, Mookie Betts is going to play when he's healthy at right field, and Cody Bellinger is going to play when he's healthy in center. The other three spots are up for debate: Sa- second base first base, and left field. And between those, they have to give everyday play to Max Muncy. They have to have Jock Peterson play against right-handed pitching, who he crushes. And they have to give A.J. Pollock, Gavin Lux, Kike Hernandez, and Chris Taylor enough time to stay fresh at the plate. Or they could keep Lux at AAA to start the season, which I do not expect. But that's a, you know, that's a huge problem on Dave Roberts' hands. I do not see how they get Jock Peterson, A.J. Pollock, Chris Taylor, and Kike Hernandez sufficient playing time. I just don't see it. I, that's why I think a trade remains possible. You know, right now, you know, here's how you draw it up. You would say Jock Peterson, A.J. Pollock, platoon, and left. Uh, Gavin Lux plays second base against righties, and uh, against lefties, you either have uh, Kike Hernandez or Chris Taylor play there, or you slide Max Muncie from first to second, and then play Matt Beatty or Edwin Rios, both of whom have showed pretty well in the major leagues at, at first base, or Kike or, or Taylor even at, the, at that position. So there's, there's, so many, there's so many iterations. The one thing we know is that they're not going to play Jock Peterson at first base, which they tried to do last year. Um, and uh, that's about it. You know, I, I, I couldn't predict where they're going to play these guys. I think if you want home runs, Jock Peterson's still going to provide you home runs. He's still going to play against Randy and pitching when he's healthy. But other than that, you know, I, it, as of now, I see one of Kike Hernandez or Chris Taylor really suffering from a loss of playing time. It's a first-world problem for the Dodgers that they've had for quite a while. It's a real problem in the fantasy world, especially for people who want to get excited about Jack Peterson, A.J. Pollock, and the youngster Gavin Lux. That's Pedro Mora, Dodgers beat writer here at The Athletic. You can check him out, of course, at The Athletic Los Angeles, Athletic MLB. Check out his uh, podcast, Describes of Summer, with Andy McCullough. And, of course, you got him on Twitter as well, at Pedro Mora. That's M-O-U-R-A. Pedro, thanks again for taking the time with us today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Continuing on with our tour through the NL West, we move on to the Arizona Diamondbacks, where we welcome on our beat writer out there, Zach Buchanan. Zach, thanks for taking some time to talk position battles with us here at the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Sure, happy to come on. Now, I know the Diamondbacks don't really have any traditional 
uh, position battles. You're not really looking at any this guy versus that guy for that spot specifically. But you do have some things happening on the fringes that are fantasy relevant. The first place I want to start is in the rotation. Uh, there had been some talk about Zach Gallen maybe being in some sort of battle for a rotation spot. It's not true, right? Zach Gallen locked into this rotation, correct? I can't imagine any scenario outside of Zach Gallen just looking terrible this spring where he's not in the rotation. Uh, in his first two times out, he's looked pretty good. So that, that possibility probably goes away too. Um, so right now, you really kind of have five spots pretty much settled. Um, the X factor is whether Mike Leak is healthy or not because he's dealing with a fracture in his left wrist. It's his non-throwing wrist. He's been able to keep his arm going, but he hasn't actually been able to catch baseballs, which is something you have to do if you want to play baseball. <laughs> um, so it, we're kind of waiting to see whether he's going to have enough time to be ready for the start of the regular season. And if it's not him right off the bat, who has the best shot at that fifth spot? It's got to be Merrill Kelly. Um, I wrote about him today, actually. Uh, you know, of the guys who were here all season last year, Merrill Kelly is the only one who made every single one of his starts. Uh, now they brought in they brought in Mike Leake at uh, at the at the the uh, trade deadline last year, and he's renowned for his durability and able to to take the ball every fifth day. Bumgarner also made every one of his starts last year, and he's here. But Robbie Ray has never been able to do that once in his career. Uh, Zach Gallon certainly hasn't. Luke Weaver hasn't. Uh, so I think that quality of being the dependable guy uh, works in Merrill Kelly's favor, and he would be that next guy up if Mike Leake can't do it. Yeah, Mike Leake, I saw this stat recently. One of the one of four guys who have made at least 30 starts each of the last four seasons, the other being John Lester, Jose Quintana, and Julio Tehran. Wouldn't have guessed uh, that Leake is in that group, and maybe it comes to an end this season uh, with the possibility that he begins the year on IR. Let's, uh, let's move to the other spot of the battery behind the plate. Carson Kelly, certainly the starter, but Stephen Vogt has been a, uh, a reliable, dependable, uh, mostly projectable uh, veteran now for a while. How much do you think he eats into Kelly's playing time, which of course could then have an adverse effect on Kelly's fantasy upside? I don't think he's going to eat into it too much. I think after uh, Carson Kelly's 2019, he is the starter. Uh, he's going to play the lion's share of the time back there. Uh, I think you're looking at kind of like a two-thirds, one-thirds type of split between those two guys with Vote being the left-handed bat. Uh, but this is Merrill Kelly's job. Um, there's there's really no mystery there as, as to kind of who's going to get the playing time. All right, and finally, we look at the corner infield spots on this team. Christian Walker, Eduardo Escobar locked in as the first and third baseman, respectively. This team obviously uh, had some high hopes for Jake Lamb and expects something out of the bat. Is there a way for him to play his way into any sort of semi-regular role, or is he a utility corner infielder at this point for the D-backs? If, if you look at last season, that's exactly what Christian Walker did. Um Jake Lamb was supposed to be the starting first baseman. Christian Walker was going to be kind of the part-time bench guy. But Christian Walker came out of the, the gates hot. Uh, Jake Lamb got hurt. And by the time Jake Lamb was back, Christian Walker had really solidified himself as the starter. And I think that the reverse certainly is, is possible to happen. Um, I don't expect Christian Walker to kind of fall off in terms of his production, but I think they are committed to getting Jake Lamb his at-bats. Um, it will be first base against – tough right-handed pitchers. I think he's going to be a big part of this team for sure. 
Yeah, and that many trips to the plate would definitely make him interesting in fantasy leagues. Maybe not as a regular first or third baseman, but certainly as a starting corner infielder. That's Zach Buchanan from The Athletic Arizona, our Diamondbacks beat writer. Zach, thanks for taking some time to join us today. Next up in the NL West is the San Diego Padres. For that, we bring on our Padres beat writer, Dennis Lynn. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. How you doing? Doing well, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. This is uh, this is a team I've been excited to talk about. I've been excited to talk to you because this is a team that certainly seems like it is on the rise with all its young talent. Could be a breakthrough team uh, this season. Going to be a fun team to watch certainly all year long. One of those uh, MLB extra innings teams that you uh, never mind having on in the background. We know about Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado, Tommy Pham, all those guys. Those guys positions certainly locked in place but let's take a look at the second base position with this team we got a couple of veterans uh battling it out for the starting gig or maybe just to have the longer side of what could end up being a position share Brian Dozier and Jurickson Profar both guys have had some big seasons big individual seasons in the past Profar of course finally breaking through uh with the A's Dozier had so many good years with the twins how is that battle shaking out to your eyes well, I think this battle is one that could go on um, past the end of spring training just because uh, it seems likely that they're going to carry both guys into the season and then let um, performers dictate who gets more playing time. Uh, Profar does have uh, some flexibility as a guy who can move around the field, although he's been working exclusively at second base during spring training. Uh, but there is concern about his throwing, as uh, as you might know. Uh, last season in Oakland, he committed quite a few errors Uh he had labrum surgery a couple times in his career, so it's uh, something that's concerning for uh, for the Padres, which is why they partly brought in Brian Dozier to uh, to have this open competition in spring training. But I think this is something that's going to drag into the season for sure. Do you see at some point something? I don't want to say other than performance, but is there something that could dictate who ends up getting the job when you look at the team top to bottom? Is there something that one of these guys uh, brings to the table that could be more unique compared with the other one that could ultimately put that player ahead? Yeah, they uh, they hit um, – well, Profar is a switch hitter, so he hits from both sides of the plate, but Dozier's uh, continued to sell against uh, left-handed pitching, although his – Overall numbers uh, were definitely down over the last two seasons. Um, he hasn't, you know, hit 30, 40 home runs like he did a few years ago. But uh, he's still a guy who knows how to work in at bat. A guy who gets on base is something they've been looking for forever from from pretty much every position. So uh, I think Dozier coming into camp, even on a minor league deal, just the fact that he chose the Padres uh, will tell you that he's pretty confident he's going to make the roster. And I think um, just that ability to hit left-handers could could give him uh, something of a defining edge in this battle. I know uh, obviously that's counterintuitive because most uh, most pitchers aren't left-handed, but uh, Profar has had an up-and-down career just, uh, you know, just looking at injuries in the last two seasons, offense and defense. So if, uh, if Dozier can, um, you know, maybe make some strides against right-handed hitters or just stay competitive against them, uh, he possibly gets the edge himself, but uh, it's all remains to be seen, I think. The outfield on this team uh, may be more in focus now than it was at the start of the spring. I think it's still a worthwhile topic from a fantasy perspective. Obviously, you know, we know Tam- Tommy Pham's going to be out there every day, basically every day. Maybe he doesn't play 162, but if he's healthy, he's probably going to play you know 152, 155, 160. Maybe he does play every single game. So no question about Tommy Pham. Uh, then you've got Trent Grisham, Franchi Cordero. Maybe Will Myers works into the outfield mix also. Juan Lagares, probably more of just a glove, not really much of a bad guy at any point of his career. 
career, but was one of the better defensive outfielders during his entire tenure with the Mets. How is this outfield situation shaping up alongside the everyday fam? Yeah, I think you uh, you alluded to some of the uncertainty there in the outfield. I, I think Trent Grisham's a guy they're very excited about. Obviously, came over in the uh, trade with Milwaukee for Luis Arias. Uh, he's uh, he's a guy they think they can't be an everyday outfielder. I know um, center field's been a question for him in the past, but uh, so far in spring, he uh, he looks pretty good over there, and he's he's hitting. He gets on base uh, again. That's something they they really care about. So he's a guy who's going to get every crack to be the uh, everyday center fielder. Uh, so that position for now, at least, seems pretty settled in the right field. Will Myers until uh, until he gets traded or uh, until they decide to maybe eventually release him. Uh, he's the uh, starting right fielder, I think. So uh, if you look at three spots in the three starting spots in the outfield, it looks mostly uh, mostly decided for now. But there's still room for a guy like Josh Naylor. There's still room for a guy like uh, Franchi Cordero to uh, you know to make their case for for more playing time. And Tommy Pham, let's keep in mind, he's uh, he's a guy who tore his UCL last year, partially tore his UCL. So that's something to monitor even in left field. Um, so I think there's still some real room for for guys to make. Uh, Make unexpected pushes, but uh, for now, uh, you're looking at Tommy Pham, uh, Trent Grisham, and Will Myers as a starting outfield. All right, one more thing I want to ask you about before we let you go. This is a sneaky, fun starting rotation. Of course, everyone knows about Chris Paddock. Denelson Lamette is a guy who would have been a, a chic breakout pick a couple of years ago if not for the Tommy John surgery that cost him an entire year. But we saw the strikeout stuff in the second half of last season when he came back. Garrett Richards has always been uh, an intriguing pitcher uh, whenever he has been healthy. But, of course, we know about the injury uh, issues with him in his past. Joey Lucchese and Zach Davies rounding out the starting five to start the season so that looks locked in but then there's this guy looming down in the minors Mackenzie Gore one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball what do you think Gore's timeline looks like at the start of the season and if he does get up to the majors with a good chunk of the season still left who likely gets bumped yeah even right now looking at the rotation at the back end of it Joe Lucchese uh, had a had a shaky uh, spring start and no that's easy to read too much into this time of year, but uh, the, the number number five spot in the rotation right now is probably between Lucchese and Cal Quantrill. Um, so there, there's some opportunity back there. Uh, probably not for Gore at this time. He only pitched about 100 innings last season, and they uh, they didn't get him to a Cactus League game this spring until pretty late. So it kind of you know shows you what they're thinking as far as slow playing him and kind of easing him into the season. Uh, I don't foresee him going even forward than 140 innings or so for the entire year uh combined between the minors and and the majors but uh there's uh there's a good chance that he's up um you know around mid-season and if something happens with an injury or just a guy really falls off in the rotation uh, he's a guy they could you know bring up earlier in the year and then just manage his innings possibly send him back down to the to the minors for spell mid-season after he uh, comes up which is what they did with uh chris paddock last year uh but he's a guy to uh to watch for sure i would say around you know starting even in may Padres looking like one of the more fun teams in Major League Baseball this season. So I think you've got an exciting year ahead of you, Dennis. That's Dennis Lynn uh, from The Athletic San Diego. Of course, check out all of his work over there and check him out on Twitter as well at Dennis T. Lynn. That's L-I-N. Dennis, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Michael. Next up in the NL West is the San Francisco Giants. And to tackle the Giants, bring on one of our two Giants writers, Grant Brisby. Uh, Grant, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? 
I am doing well also. Uh, we were sort of joking about the uh, the Giants and their standing in the fantasy world before we started recording here, but there are a few things of note with this team, no matter how they come into the season looking. The first uh, one is in the outfield. Uh, center field is uh, still a position that is up for grabs. Uh, we know that steals are dwindling by the year, and this team's got someone competing for a job who has burned fantasy owners in the past, but definitely could provide you with steals if he gets uh, a lot of playing time. What's it looking like with Billy Hamilton out in center for this team? Billy Hamilton is getting playing time in center field for the Giants. I mean, they they want a right-handed or switch-hitting bat um, to be in that, that lineup. They were hoping Jalen Davis would be a right-handed bat, but he's just not hitting in spring. He's, he's looking rough. He is looking... Uh, He's not making great contact. He's not making hardly any contact at all. Uh, but Billy Hamilton, you know, he's he's doing okay. He's not lighting the world on fire, but they like what they've seen. They're trying to get him to hit the ball more in the air. You know, he's been taught his whole life just chop that ball down on the ground and, and beat out as many hits. And the Giants are, you know, this started before the Giants, but the Giants are encouraging it. Uh, more line drives, get the ball to the outfield, do what you can in, in that respect. And I don't know. I mean, it's... He doesn't have a stolen base in spring, but I can tell you that the Giants, for whatever reason, I don't know what this, what's going on here, but the Giants have been really, really aggressive on the base paths all spring uh, when it comes up to tagging from second to third, when it comes to stealing bases, balls in the dirt, things like that. I don't know if that's just, hey, let's throw it to the wall in the spring and see what sticks. But I don't know if there is sort of a an idea that they're going to be more aggressive this year and if Billy Hamilton makes the team. Uh, that's probably something you should pay attention to. Don't get burned. Don't go first round. Come on now. <laughs> but it's someone someone to, to look at and, and stash away in the later rounds. So you're not saying like Trout, Acuna, Yelich, Hamilton. That's not what we should be doing? No, no. I mean, if, <laughs> Hamilton would be between Trout and Acuna. Come on. <laughs> of, course, of course. Of course he would be. That's exactly where he belongs. <laughs> uh, so assuming he does make the team, is this his job? I mean, if he if they keep him, they're keeping him as their de facto starting center fielder or not default starter? Not necessarily. I think he would be part of the depth they want to – because they're not going to play Hunter Pence and Alex Dickerson at the same time. You have to think of them as an either-or situation. You have Mike Yastrzemski. They're comfortable with him against left-handers, and they're, they're playing him – you know, he's starting in, in center field on uh, right now on Tuesday. So, you know, they're, they're going to play him in center field quite a bit. He's got good instincts. He doesn't have the classic burner profile, but they're comfortable with him there. And then maybe right field you're going to have – I don't know. Whoever else makes a team might be uh, Darren Ruff. It could be uh, it could be Mauricio Dubon, who's playing a little bit of center field, shifting Yastrzemski to right. So it's all fluid. You can't think of Hamilton if he gets the job. He's 162 games. He's the de facto starter. But he would be in there. He would definitely be a pinch running option later on. He would get a fair amount of at-bats, but I don't think he would be like the go-get-em-kid starter. All right, there's a ton of known commodities on this team. Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, Brandon Belt, Buster Posey, Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja, uh, Kevin Gausman. These guys have been around in our fantasy lives and our baseball lives seemingly forever at this point. There is one guy, however, and you just mentioned him, who is new, young, intriguing on this team, and that's Mauricio Dubon. How should we expect the Giants to get him involved this season? They want to make him their version of Chris Taylor. Whether or not that that's going to work, I don't know. But they like his bat-to-ball 
skills. They like his overall baseball package. They feel that he's a plus defender at second, that he's more than capable at short. I've seen different accounts, you know, of people saying, oh, he, he, he can't stick at short. Oh, he's, he's overextended there. I don't see that. I don't see that with my eyeballs. I don't see that in the numbers. He looks like a guy who can play any infield position. They're giving him at-bats uh, or, or playing time in center, which would help with exactly what I'm talking about, getting that right-handed bat out in center field. They're even sticking him a little bit at first base. So I don't know. I know that when I when I play fantasy, I love having that guy that you just, wow, I would never have drafted him at first base. But I'll sure stick him there while my other three first basemen are hurt. Like, that helps me right now. I'm not sifting through the waiver. So he's trying to be that positional guy where he's the—I mean, Ben Zobris is the over-cliched uh, mm-hmm. comparison, but something of that nature. Yeah, it's a, it's a useful piece in real life and a very useful piece, as you point out, in fantasy. Dubon, one of the intriguing guys who could fill a role like that this season. Uh, finally, with this team, I want to talk to you about the closer position. It seems that Tony Watson would be uh, the, the clearest choice as this team's opening day closer, uh, but he's been dealing with a shoulder injury all spring and hasn't yet thrown. So uh, two questions, I guess, here are two parts to this one question. When he's healthy, should we assume he's the closer at least early in the year? And when he's not healthy, if he's not ready for opening day or uh, if something happens early in the season, who could we see inheriting that role, pushing him early on? How does this closer role look to start the year for this team? It it seems almost like a foregone conclusion that it would be Tony Watson. He's the only one with, I don't know, more than five saves on the team. He has something, 37 career saves. He has the experience. He's done the role before. But he really struggled last year in September, and he accepted his player option. He came back, and he hasn't pitched yet. We just haven't seen exactly what's going on with him. If he can get righties out, lefties out, if he can get anyone out. Uh, We haven't seen a good Tony Watson since last August. So I don't think it's necessarily like you can just write it in stone. It's going to be Watson. Just forget about it. He's the guy as long as he's healthy. You know, shoulders are weird. He's he's been throwing on the side. He's been giving regular updates to reporters. But you got to wonder in the middle of May when someone, or middle of March, when someone hasn't been pitching, can you really count on him? So with that in mind, uh, Trevor Gott came to camp and he was throwing hard. He was hurt at the end of last year, but uh, he's looked pretty impressive. He's been roughed up a little bit in his last couple outings, but that would be a potential guy. Maybe if you're just stashing people way, way at the very end of a draft or, or you know, for a dollar at an auction. But the real sleeper is Tyler Rogers, and he doesn't get a lot of he's, – he's not a traditional closer because he's throwing in the mid-80s at his, on his best day. He's a submariner, real funky – but he's never had platoon splits in the minor leagues. He's he's never really had that one season, two seasons where the lefties just crushed him, but he was able to get righties out. He's just funky enough to get everyone out. And he came up to the majors last year and dominated. And early on in spring this year, he's given up a hit and a walk in, in four and a third innings. He struck out seven. He's making lefties look bad, righties look bad. The Giants are pretty keen on him. I would not be surprised, even if just in a temporary role, to see Tyler Rogers get at least a couple saves in the beginning of the season. All right, there's a name to file away, Tyler Rogers. That's Grant Brisby. Of course, you can check him out at the Athletic Bay Area, Athletic MLB, and on Twitter at Grant Brisby, B-R-I-S-B-E-E. Grant, thanks again for taking the time with us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. We move on to our final team in the NL West. It is the Colorado Rockies. And for the Rockies, we bring on our Rockies beat writer, Nick Groke. Nick, thanks for joining us. How you doing? 
Dude, I'm good. Finally, how are you? I am doing well also. I'm happy. I wanted to save the Rockies for the last team in the West because this is a team that does have some true position battles, a few that we can run through quickly. The first is at second base. This was a position battle last year. Fantasy owners did what they could to figure it out in the spring. Ultimately, were able to get some value with Ryan McMahon during the season. This battle is back in full force in 2020. How are things shaking out? Uh, yeah, you know, Ryan McMahon will be their starting second baseman on opening day, uh, but that's not necessarily a guarantee through the season. They uh, they have their their top prospect, Brendan Rodgers, um, is a second baseman now, uh, came up as a shortstop. Uh, he injured his shoulder last year and he had surgery, so he's not going to be ready to start the season. They thought he would be ready by maybe by May. Uh, he's now ahead of schedule, so maybe as early as April. Um, so... I think they they really are going to wait and see how McMahon does to start the season. Uh, they were really intent on getting Brendan Rodgers in the lineup last year uh, in his debut year um, to mixed results, uh, mostly poor results. Uh, small sample size, obviously, for Rodgers. Uh, but McMahon really established himself as like an everyday player, basically, for them. So um, it is not clear how they're going to move forward. Uh, between Ryan McMahon and Brendan Rodgers at second base. Now, they have some options. Brian McMahon can play first base. Um, uh, He came up as a third baseman but moved to first, and now he's playing second base. Uh, He showed a lot of improvement last year at the plate, uh, especially toward the end of the year. Um, He can hit hit for power. So, I mean, I don't think that they know what they're going to do. When they called up Rodgers last year, they kind of forced him into the lineup. Um, in a rotation that included Garrett Hampson also at second base. And he, like, you know, all of his, the hits that he he was getting were like mostly infield hits to begin. Uh, so all of the things that he flashed coming up, especially in AAA uh, the year before, it didn't really translate immediately for him at the major league level. Uh, so they might maybe be a little bit more cautious bringing him up again this year, but, Again, he's a top prospect, and they tried so hard to get him in the lineup last year, but it's Ryan McMahon's job, um, and he has not done anything to lose that job. So it's, it's definitely a curious thing how they're going to move forward at second base. Is Hampson involved in this at all? He is, yeah. He's, he's a good defender, and they like his speed on the bases. Um, and he's, he's actually become a, <laughs> uh, a really good, rather good center fielder, even though it's not his natural position. Um, opposing scouts I've talked to really like him in center field. Um, so they could they could have a kind of rotation with Hampson where he'll play some infield and he'll play some outfield. Um, I don't think he's going to overtake anybody as the starting second baseman, though, uh, just because his hit his hitting profile is a lot of contact. It's like down lineup contact type hitting. You know, he yeah, he will absolutely factor in at some in some kind of rotation for them at some point. Um, probably not immediately at second base, though. All right. Well, he could factor into the outfield. We know Charlie Blackman's still out there, even if his best days may be a little behind him. David Dahl went healthy. I know this team uh, very excited about getting him up and running. And then you've got left field uh, where there is another battle being waged uh, with Sam Hilliard. Ramel Tapia, Ian Desmond, maybe Hampson gets involved. I don't know. How is the left field battle uh, sorting itself out? Do you think anyone 
ends up as the go-to every single day or mostly every day left fielder, or is this going to be rotational all season? It's going to be rotational probably all season, unless a couple of things could happen. Uh, if Garrett Hampson is just hitting is hitting for a high on base percentage, they could move him into a regular rotation in center field and move David Dahl to left. That's certainly possible. Um, but right now it's Ramel Tapia essentially as the number one in a kind of not platoon, a platoon not platoon with Ian Desmond. Uh, but neither of them have hit very well at all, and for for a long for long stretches. So. I don't know what else they need to see from Ryan Maltapia. They've shown a lot of patience with him, and he just he's you know he's he, he's essentially a below average, below league average hitter at this point. So getting him a bunch of at bats against right-handers is not really you know I don't know if that's really going to help a whole lot uh, with him in the long run. I mean, it remains to be seen, but the other wild card is Sam Hilliard. He, he had a late season call up, uh, came up in August and he hit for power immediately. And against good pitching, he hit seven home runs in, in something like, you know, less than 30 total at bats or something, but they were against really good pitchers. He, he homered twice off of Noah Syndergaard. He homered off of Josh Hader and Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, he really seemed really natural and calm and controlled at the plate. If anything, uh, because this team weirdly is devoid of power, uh, they could really use Sam Hilliard in their lineup. If he can, if he can show, and I think he'll have to do this off the bench to start, but if he can show that he is a competent hitter sort of over the long run, I could easily see him just taking over the starting job in left field. All right, really quick, let's uh, hit the closer position here too because Wade Davis, an established closer, first with the Royals, then with the Cubs, goes to the Rockies uh, and has a a really disastrous 2019 season. He's entering the year as the closer from everything we can tell in the fantasy world, but how precarious is his hold on that job? It's precarious, and it's so weird talking to you about this. Apparently the Rockies are really unsettled overall, but um, they they want – Wade Davis to be the closer. He will be the closer to start the season, but they eventually removed him from that role last season because he struggled so mightily. He's just not throwing a lot of strikeouts anymore. Um, and you really have to do to do that as a, as a reliever for the Rockies. It's the number one way to get around the, their Coors field problem is to just throw strikeouts. Uh, Scott Oberg throws strikeouts. He is a very good reliever. He is their best reliever. Um, right now they're keeping him in the eighth inning. Uh, in more higher leverage situations, ideally. Uh, but if Wade Davis continues to struggle, I think that they at this point are not shy. He's in the last year of his three-year deal with them. I don't think they'll be shy to take him out of the closer role um, because they know that Scott Ober can do this. He has shown that he's that he is able to handle the ninth inning. Um, for now, the, for now though, it's Davis's job. Uh, but Scott Oberg is very much at the ready on hold in case anything happens. All right, that's Nick Groke on the Rockies, our Rockies beat writer. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Groke, G-R-O-K-E. Nick, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, man. And with that, we are ready to wave goodbye to the NL West in our division-by-division position battle miniseries on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Please do give all of our great NL West beat writers a follow on Twitter. Next up in the miniseries, the AL East. Until then, I'm Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank you.